Good morning again. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to 2024. Isn't that something? We're starting out. This is the first Sunday of the new year. I know we already kicked off New Year's Eve last Sunday, but this is actually the first Sunday of the new year, and we are excited to get started together. Not only are we starting a brand new year this year, but we're also this year celebrating the 50th anniversary of Lakeshore Christian Church. Amen. I'm modeling the t-shirt, 50th anniversary crest on it. These are available in our bookstore. Uh, have to do a little plug there. Uh, little uh, t-shirts available in the bookstore. They'll be available all year long. Uh, it's leading up to the actual anniversary of the incorporation of the church. It's November the 17th of this year, but we'll be celebrating all year long. So we're glad that you could join us for that. Welcome those that are joining us online, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys and glad to be celebrating this all together. When you think about the past year, 2023, I don't know what word comes to mind for you, but I want you to try to think of one word that describes your year in 2023. Try to keep it church appropriate if you can, all right? Might have been rough, but you're here, right? You made it through. And you're starting a new year here with us together. If you could pick a word in your mind, though, for this past year, I, I could think of a lot of different ones. But I think one word that might describe not just this past year, but the world we live in is complex. You would think with all the new technology, with all the new inventions, with all the new stuff, life would get more simple. But what's happened, really? It's gotten more complex. Everything that we come up with to try to simplify our lives has, for many of us, just complicated it that much more. Just trying to keep up with everything, the new technology, the, the, the new things that are out there, the new phrases, the new, the new styles, the new cars, the new houses. I'm just trying to keep up with all of that. It gets very complex if that's what you're building your life around. What's interesting is you would think, you would think it would get more simple. And we're going to be in the series we're starting today. The series is called When Less is More. We're going to be learning from the simple teachings of Jesus Christ, how he designed life to work, and the view of life he wants us to have. Uh, the worldview he wants us to have as we live life here on this earth. Here's what I know about Jesus. He doesn't complicate things. He doesn't make them more complex than they need to be. We do that, not Jesus. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about that. Now, I want to do another little plug because I believe in it so much. My beautiful bride, Sue Ann, uh, way back, I think, in 2011, wrote this book. Uh, it's a study called Simplify, A Life Anchored in Purpose. Now, the message series is not going to follow the book, but this book has a lot of the principles from Scripture that we're going to be talking about. I would recommend, if you don't already have this book, many of you went through this study with Sue Ann in the years past. You may already have the book, but if you don't, it's available at uh, the website shineworthytea.com. You can go there and purchase it through that website. Uh, it's simply called Simplify, A Life Anchored in Purpose. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about in the series, you could go a little deeper with it uh, as you go through that study that she wrote. Uh, I don't ever mind giving a plug for my beautiful bride. She's a very gifted uh, uh, 
follower of Jesus who does a lot of great teaching and writing, so I'm happy to promote, to promote that. Uh, and because it ties so well with the series that we're going to be doing here. So in this series, talking about when less is more, I want to say from the beginning, some of you are already cringing a little bit if you're really into grammar. Because you could say more simple or simpler. And I've said both of those already today. And some of you are already struggling with that. Because you're all about the grammar stuff. Now here's what I want to tell you. Get over it. There's a lot bigger things for you to worry about. Now, I, I believe we ought to try to use good grammar as well. But here's what I found out. You can Google it. You don't have to right now. Wait a little while. Wait till after the sermon. You can Google it. Either one is correct. More simple or simpler or both grammatically correct. So you could say it either way. So for the rest of this series, I don't want you, you know, freaking out over which one I'm saying. Uh, and, and, and I don't want you to think that, that your life needs to be complicated by things like that. Worrying about things like that. It doesn't need to be that complicated. You, we, can, we can all relax a little bit and get past that. Uh, and here's the thing. I just took up a few minutes of my sermon talking about this thing. I'm complicated a sermon on Simplify. <laughs> right. So I'm going to quit complicating it, and I'm going to get to it here and talk about when less is more. And what we're talking about today is the idea of simple but not easy. Just because something's simple doesn't mean it's easy to do. It's easy to incorporate into your life. Uh, you would think so. They're synonyms, but they're not the same. Simple and easy are not the same thing. So when I think about how the world has gotten more complex, I think about things and how things have changed, not just in the past year, but in, in the past several years. For example, managing or navigating uh, dating in today's culture. Thankfully, I'm not in that world. I don't want to be in that world, but we got people here that are in that world. I can't imagine how complicated that is, even to try to be in the dating world today with all that's going on out there. It's, it's crazy. You would think with all the apps and everything, it might be making it more simple, but it hasn't. It's more complex than it's ever been. And it's not just that. It's a lot of things. Some of us, I hate to even bring it up. I don't want to spoil your new year, it's tax time, right? We've got to file our tax returns. You would think with all the time they've had to simplify the tax code, they could have made this more simple. But what's happened is more complex than it's ever been before. It's crazy having to try to file your taxes. You have to get help. I know I do. <laughs> Some of you may be experts on this. I have to get help with this. It's just too complicated for me. And, and it's true for so many different things in our lives. There is a, a term in psychology that uh, I was reading about recently as I was preparing this series. It's called the complexity bias. I don't know if you've heard of it before. But it says we all have a tendency to be drawn to the complex and not the simple because we think it might be better. If we're dealing with a problem or a struggle, and we, what do we do a lot of times? We go online and we Google it and we say, what are the answers to this? You know, what, what do I need to do about it? How can I solve this? How can I fix this? And once you start that, what can happen? You have all these different articles that pop up, all these different links, and you could go down this rabbit hole where you go deeper and deeper and more and more complex trying to find the answer to this problem. When sometimes the answer is really simple. And we're making it harder 
than it needs to be. But I think the psychologist said that one of the reasons we tend to be drawn to the complex is because it gives us the illusion that we're in control, right? If we've got this complex system to follow and steps to take and all that, we start feeling like maybe we can fix this and we're in control and we'll, we'll get it all worked out because we're going to follow all these steps and all these guidelines and it's going to get us to the conclusion that we're trying to get to. And we're drawn to that idea that we can be in control of this. Just think about the different health resolutions people make going into the new year, right? I want to, uh, still at the top of the list are things like quit smoking and things like lose weight and things like get in better shape. Those are still some of the top three resolutions that people make going into the new year. But here's the thing. It's not that complicated. We really complicated ourselves. If you really want to get in better shape and better health, then it's really simple. Be more active and eat a healthier eat healthier than you've been eating it's that simple you don't have to have a whole bunch you know but we go to the 300 page latest new diet that came out because it gives us the illusion that we're going to be in control of this now instead of the simple answer that's been there all the time for us now I know that doesn't fix everything I'm not I'm not trying to oversimplify it but I'm saying it's not as complicated as we make it most of the time but people sell a lot of books and programs and prepackaged foods to get you to buy those things to have better health along the way. Instead of just doing the simple things that we've always needed to do anyway. If you Google self-improvement, I did this again preparing for the sermon. If you just Google self-improvement, you're going to get 1.1 billion hits. And that's because they limit it to 1.1 billion. That's the only reason that's all you get, because there's more out there. That's how complicated we've made it, right? That you've got over a billion links that you could go to to talk about improving yourself. So for these next four weeks, we're going to go back to less complicated, more simple, simpler, either one is correct, words of Jesus. Because he didn't complicate life. He made it clear, simple, easy to understand. But that doesn't mean easy. Those two things are not the same. How many of you are told to do things, and, and, and it sounds like it's going to be simple, but it doesn't uh, end up being simple? Uh, things like this. Uh, you, you're walking up like at the airport, and there's several different lines for security. And your spouse says, pick the shortest line. Right? That sounds simple, doesn't it? I have yet to pick the shortest line. It looked the shortest going in, but it took the longest going through, right? It sounds simple, but it's not. Or things like put down your phone for a while, leave it alone. Oh, for some people today, that's one of the hardest things in the world to do is to separate yourself from that device for very long. Your whole life is in that device. You can't get away from it, right? And so that's a really hard thing. It's, it's simple, Right? Put your phone down. But that's not easy for a lot of people. Well, what about this one? Just admit that you were wrong. Whoa. <laughs> it's simple, but it's not easy, is it? Here's one. Might be relevant to today. It's only a football game. Don't be so upset. 
<laughs> That's a tough one for a lot of people, or a basketball game, or whatever sport it might be, right? Don't get so upset about it. Well, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are where you find Jesus teaching this series of teachings that have often been called now the Sermon on the Mount. He's gone up onto this mountainside, and on that mountainside, for a whole day out there, he's teaching the people lesson after lesson after lesson. And we have it recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, I don't want you to do it right now, but go back this week and just read through the whole Sermon on the Mount because it all connects together. Okay, It's a great devotional reading time. You'll learn a lot. But here's what you've got to find out about the Sermon on the Mount. It's simple. It's just not easy. But it is simple. In fact, some people walked away from Jesus because they thought he wasn't deep enough. Can you imagine that? They had other teachers that they liked better because they would have a long thesis on this and Jesus would have a short story about it. Or he just taught it simply so that everybody could understand it. But some people, remember, are drawn to the complex. They don't, they don't see the simple as something that's deep enough for them. Well, in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we're at the, near the very end of it now, with the words that we're going to talk about, where he, he tells this parable. Some people say, well, it's kind of like two parables, but it's very short. It's like two and one. I think it's just one parable with a comparison of two things in this one parable. Okay? Here's what he says, beginning of verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." So in the whole Sermon on the Mount, in all of these teachings, what Jesus is doing is giving people a lens through which to look at life, how life is designed to work by God, okay? He's the author of life. He's the designer of life. He knows best how life is supposed to work. And then in this series of teachings, he says, here's how you need to look at life. Here's how you need to live out life the way I designed it to be. And so he's coming to the end of that teaching, and he's saying, it's like building a house. He gives this comparison between two builders. One built his house on what? A rock. One built his house on what? Right? And he's going to contrast those two, compare those two, so you can see the difference and why it's so important to build on the right foundation. This is a really simple story. It's not hard to understand at all. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to give you three things that, that we need to be reminded of from the story, but, but don't overcomplicate this, guys. There's no reason to overcomplicate it. And if you think Pastor Andy's not deep enough in this message series, talk to Jesus. This is how simple he made it, okay? That's one of the reasons he's my hero. I can understand what Jesus is teaching me, right? I can apply it to my life. I know how it applies to my life. And you can too. Don't overcomplicate it. All right, so here's the first point from this story. 
Everybody builds a house. Everyone builds a house. You know why? The house represents your life. The house represents your life. And all of us are building a life. You're building your life right now. You were building it in 2023. You were building it from the time you're born until this moment of your life right now. You have been building your house, your life. That's what Jesus is talking about. Keep it simple. It's not any more complicated than that. In this story, the house is a metaphor for life. So let's think about it that way. Everyone builds a life. Whether you want to or not, you are building one. Part of living is building a life. So let's try to get a visual of this, okay? Let's just imagine. I, I like to visualize things when I'm studying Scripture. So I want you to join me in this. Whether you usually do this or not, help me out here, okay? Let's visualize building a house. And let's say it's a big house. Let's say we've got uh, about five to 6,000 square feet. This is a huge house, okay? And, and you're building it as a brick house. It consists of around 25,000 bricks, this house. Okay, it's a lot of bricks. Now, what makes up the bricks of building the house? Well, remember, this is a metaphor for life. So think about it this way. Every decision you make is another brick in the house that you're building. Every decision you make is another brick in the house. And when you make decisions sometimes they're very conscious decisions you've thought it out you've researched it and you make that decision most of our decisions though day to day are habitual decisions we do about 70 to 80 percent of the same things every day right and you're not consciously even thinking about it after so long but your brain is still programmed to think do this do this next right you have a routine Usually on a work day, if you're working a regular job and you're getting up in the morning and going to work or going to work later in the day, whatever your shift is, you have a routine that you go through where you get up and you do that routine and go to work. And you don't even have to think about it, right? It's a routine. But decisions are still being made that you've already put into your mind about what you're going to do that day. And so every day it averages about... 70 decisions. Now, if you multiply that out, here's what you're going to find out. That's about 25,000 bricks a year that you're building this house with. About 25,000 bricks a year. Uh, about 25,500 if you want to get technical, okay? Let's get the exact number for some of you that are adding it up right now. Some of you were figuring that in your head, I could tell. 25,500 bricks. Okay, so every decision is one of those bricks. Daily decisions, decisions in the moment. You decide, I'm going to let that offend me today, so I'm going to be mad about it. That's a decision you made. It's going to determine what your day's like that day. Or that person hurt me, and I got to decide how I'm going to respond, so I want to get back at them and hurt them. That's a decision you just made. It's determining what your life is like. Or you determine... I'm going to let it go. I'm going to move on. I'm going to choose to be happy today. That's a different decision, but it builds your life, whatever decision you make that day. So everything we're responding to all day long are decisions or bricks that we're building our house with. If you do 25,500 bricks a year, if you live to be 80 years old, that's 2 million decisions you've made. 2 million. 
But at any point in that lifetime, you can pinpoint your life right now at this moment, and you can know it was built by the decisions that you made leading up to this moment. That's what built your life to where it is now. So if you want life to change, what have you got to do? Make different decisions. Right? If you want life to change, you have to decide to do things differently. Well, what are you going to base that on? Well, um, here's what you have to know from this story that Jesus told. He says that uh, these houses that were built, one was built on rock and one was built on sand. But for both houses, what happened? What came? Storms. All right, so as you're thinking about moving forward this year, you have to understand that everyone faces storms. That's the second thing you need to know today. Everyone faces storms. You are not the exception to the rule, and it's not just happening to you. And there is no problem, the Scripture says, that is not common to all people everywhere. Let's quit wallowing in self-pity as if life is picking on you. It's not. Everybody has storms in their lives. Whether you built on the rock or you built on the sand, what are you still going to have? You're still going to have problems. Jesus said, we say it often here at Lakeshore, in this world you will have what? Trouble. It's part of living in a fallen world. We live in a world under the curse of sin. And sin has brought these problems that everybody has to deal with. Now, your life may be great right now, so just give it a little while. Storms are coming. They're coming to everybody. Some of you I know because you've talked with me and shared with me, you're in a storm right now. And it's a hard time for you right now. But don't think it's just you. And don't think God's picking on you or God's forgotten about you because God's been very honest with you and with me. He already told us we're going to have storms going through this life. That's why Jesus told this story. He wants us to know, moving forward, I want 2024 to be a great year. For, we always, you know, New Year, I pray peace and prosperity and all good things for you and your family. That's great. Pray that for me, please. I love to have that. But here's the thing. I know storms will still be there. They will. And that doesn't mean God isn't answering the prayer. You know what it means? He is answering the prayer because that was going to be best for me. He's going to use it for some good things, even the storms, for some good things. So don't think God let you down because you prayed for a, a year of peace and health and happiness and you had some storms come into your life. You see, he's the God of the storms too. Okay? The difference is... What did you build your life on? Rock or sand? You see, if you build the house on rock and the storms come, he's telling you, you're going to hold up well. But if you build your house on the sand when the storms come, you're not going to hold up very well. What you've been building on is going to let you down. It's going to crumble. It's not going to accomplish what you wanted it to. The difference is, not even the kind of house they built, but what they built it on. Because storms reveal the foundation that you've built on. That's what storms do. They expose what kind of foundation you've built your life on. 
I don't know how many of you go to these home shows and stuff like that where you go to the tour of homes. You know, you go to those things. I've been to a couple because uh, my wife wanted me to go. I didn't want to go. But I've been to a couple of those, and you see beautiful houses. But when you go see a house, you're looking at the decoration, you're looking at the style, you're looking at the size, you're looking at the rooms, you're looking at, you know, all that stuff. How many of you really examine the foundation when you go look at those houses? A few people, the nerds. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Please don't send me emails. I'll say this, the engineers maybe, okay, might look at the foundation. Most people, unless you've had in your past trouble with the foundation at a house, you don't even think about the foundation. If you've had trouble with a house and a bad foundation, you might look at that. But otherwise, you're really not looking at that. But when you go to buy a house and you have a good home inspector, guess what they're going to look at first? The foundation. Because they know that's what's going to make that house last. No matter how beautiful it is. No matter how big it is. How small it is. How well decorated it is. If that foundation is not good, that house is not going to stand up well over time. That's why foundations are so important. And that's why this year for you and for me, and how well it goes for us, will not be determined by the fact that we don't have any storms this year. It'll be determined by how we built our house. What foundation are we building on this year? The foundation makes all the difference. So, people in this story that Jesus tells, one man built his house on a good foundation. The other person built their house on a bad foundation. They both had storms come, and the storms are described exactly the same. There was a test done uh, by the Institute for Business and Home Safety. It was done in uh, Richburg, South Carolina. And they have this uh, huge warehouse facility they built where they can simulate weather conditions. And they built two houses inside this great big 40,000 square foot warehouse. They built these two houses in there. They're about 1,300 square feet each. They built one by the codes, the normal building codes. Uh, They followed all the codes, built it exactly according to code. They built the other one by codes, but they added strengthening straps to connect every part of the house to the foundation of the house. And then inside this building, they can simulate weather. So they turn on these great big fans. You can imagine how big and powerful they are. It's a 40,000 square foot building, and they spent lots of money. This is a government project. They spent, you know, money was no object. So they were spending our money to do this. So it was no object. So they turn on these great big fans, and these fans are blowing at hurricane level three force winds. And the first test they did, they blew these fans and threw water at these houses for five minutes. After five minutes, they turn it all off and they look at the houses. Both houses stood up pretty well. There was a little cosmetic damage, but nothing too bad. They said, okay. They notated everything, looked at all the damage. They fixed everything again, set it up again, and they turned on these fans for 10 minutes. And the one house that was built to codes leaned over and fell. The other house that had all the straps had some cosmetic damage, but it stood the test of time. And the person who did the report on this study said, I can get into all the technicalities, and I've got a full report of that, but the bottom line is this, which house would you rather live in? 
You want the house that will stand up under the storms, don't you? Jesus says in this parable, your life is that house. The foundation you build on will determine how you stand up under the storms that you're going to face in your life. What is your foundation for your house? What do you want your house to be like? To just look good on the outside? Because here's what's happened in our culture today. You can make your life look good even when it's not. Now, it's always been possible to do that to some degree. But thanks to social media, you can do even more with this than ever before. You can make life look really good on the outside. People have always faked it a little bit, right? They've bought things on credit that they couldn't really afford, but they like to impress people, so they want to dress a certain way and live in a certain kind of house and do all that. And they're, and they're, they're drowning in debt, but on the outside, how do they look? They look good. They look really good. You see, we've always been able to fake it a little bit. And Jesus is saying that it's possible to have a beautiful house on the outside that has no real strength or foundation to it at all. And we've got a lot of people in America and around the world that have what look like beautiful houses on the outside. But friends, all it's going to take is a little storm to come along. And it's going to crumble. They're right on the edge. They're just right there close to collapse. And all it's going to take is the next storm for everything to fall apart. And everybody faces storms. It's going to happen. It's not if, it's when the storm's going to come. And no matter how beautiful the life looked on the outside, under the test of the storm, it could crumble. Jesus says, who builds the house on the bad foundation on the sand, he uses a word for them. Let's look at it again. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He says it's foolish with the knowledge you have, with the teaching that is so clear and simple from Jesus. It is foolish for you to build your life on the wrong foundation. If you say it the way we might say it in our culture, a pity to fool who builds his house on the sand. That's a pretty dated illustration too. That's way back. Mr. T. Some of you don't even know who Mr. T is. You can Google it today, though. It's no problem. Jesus is saying you're a fool if you do that. I saw this recently because I'm really concerned about young males, especially in our culture today. Man, the world they're growing up in is so different and it's so hard. And masculinity is being said to be bad and evil, right, in our culture today. And I'm really concerned about young men. But I read this about the average young man in America today. They spend an equivalent of a full-time job on their screens every day. The equivalent of a full-time job, they're on their screens of some kind, on their phone mostly, on their screen. The equivalent of a full-time job. And I mean they're looking at all kinds of things, right? All kinds of images, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of vulgarity, all kinds of rudeness and anger and 
Man, you keep putting that stuff in your mind and in your heart. What kind of foundation is that for life? Where is that going to take that person? If that's how they're spending the moments and the hours and the days and the weeks and the months of their lives, day in and day out. You see, they're building their lives. They don't even realize it. They're building their lives, and that's how they're using their time to build their lives. And it's not just that. I mean, young women, too, and, and just young people in general, how they're being raised in our culture today to believe that certain foundations are going to be good for them. I want to give you just a few of the foundations that, very quickly here, a few of the foundations that are popular these days that, that so many of our young people are building their lives on. And the problem is it's not just the young people. Some of them are seeing their parents and their grandparents doing this too, okay? And they're following that example. The first foundation that a lot of people are really buying into today is individualism, it could be called. It's all about you. That's why I'm here. My interest are the center of my reality. It's all about me. So every decision I make, every brick I put in my house, it's got to be me, what I want, what I think is best, what brings me the most happiness. Another one is, this could lead to it, all these are connected to each other, that can often lead to what is called hedonism. Okay, Hedonism is... Uh, approach where you start making decisions based on if it's all about me then what brings me the most pleasure immediately right now in the moment forget the consequences later what is going to bring me the most pleasure right now that's hedonism and we've got a whole group of people being raised building their lives on that idea that life is about whatever brings me pleasure in the moment period. And you see, consequences do come, but they're not thinking about that. That's not how they make their decisions. Consequences always come. You can't stop them. But in the moment, there's pleasure, so you do what brings you pleasure in the moment. In fact, the Bible even says sin is pleasurable for a season, right? It does bring pleasure temporarily. Now, there are long-term consequences to it, but it can bring pleasure in the moment. And hedonism is closely connected to existentialism. Existentialism is this idea that uh, I, you hear this a lot the, the, and the terms that they use, okay? Speak your truth. Live your truth. You do you, right? Existentialism is there is no absolute truth, period. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. You, you live your truth, I'll live my truth. As if there is no standard of truth that is across the board. That's existentialism. Now these are all related, remember. They all overlap because one feeds into the other. But if there is no absolute truth, then everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Scripture says something about that. There was a time on the earth when everybody was just doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. And it says there's a time coming again where everybody's just going to be doing what's right in their own eyes. When it happened before, you know what God did? He destroyed the earth by flood. When everybody just started doing what was right in their own eyes. Because it only leads to sin and corruption and chaos. 
existentialism is a very flawed way to build a house. Because there's a reason there's standards and codes, right, for building a house. Because we know the house won't stand up well without those codes and those standards. And your life is no different, friends. God gives us standards and guidelines because he knows your life won't stand up without them. That's why they're there. Only a loving God would be willing to give you the standards. And then there's another one that's closely related, uh, materialism, right? That the worth of my life is measured by my worth financially. Everything is tied to my financial standing. How much money do I have? How much money do I make? And then what I can buy with that, right? What am I able to purchase and have to show how successful I am? In fact, the greatest measure of success in America is finances, period. You do whatever it takes to make money so that you can be successful because success and money are the same thing in the American culture. Now, it's not just in America, it's other places too, but especially in America, we've been programmed to think that success is all about being financially successful. And yet there's a lot of financially successful people that have committed suicide year in and year out. Wealthy people. They built their life on finances. Now, there's nothing evil, remember. Don't ever take this to the other extreme the wrong way. God does not say wealth is evil. He says the love of wealth, the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. If you think your life is all about the wealth, then you build your life on that, then that means your love for wealth will lead to all kinds of evil. If you are blessed financially, that's great. Just don't put your trust and build your life on that. Okay. All right, so there is this materialism that your worth is tied to your finances. And here's the thing. If we keep sending young people that message, how are they going to make decisions then? Whatever it takes to be successful financially. Lie, cheat, steal, trample over other people. It doesn't matter because I have to be successful. That means I've got to be successful financially. That's why young people are growing up with today. That's why there's almost no honor and credibility and loyalty in the business world anymore. Now, there are small portions of it. But overall, look at the corruption in business today. Why? Because if you can make money, it doesn't matter what you do. It's all about making the money. Why do you think the drug trade is so prevalent? It's not because drugs are great. Why is it so prevalent? They can make money. Why is human trafficking a thing? It's not because it's a good thing. What's it about? We can make money trafficking other humans. Why was slavery ever adopted and accepted? Because money. That's why. You see how finances and the love of money can lead to the root of all kinds of evil things in our lives. It's a terrible foundation to build on. It's also terrible because it is so easily removed when storms come along. Wealth can be taken quickly with the storms. Now, notice verse 24. I want to go back to that just a minute. We do this a lot at Lakeshore. What's the first word in verse 30, 24? 
Therefore, <laughs> therefore, when you see therefore, what do you do? See what it's there for. There you go. So what comes before Jesus tells this story? He talks about true and false disciples. He talks about how we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the life that we built. Right? He talks about the fact that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But then he tells us who will. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Oh, you mean there's going to be an accounting for the building process and how we built our lives? You mean if we didn't build it on the rock, then we're going to be suffering consequences for that? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. You see, I know there's a lot of pastors out there that aren't going to tell you that you're going to face judgment, but I'm one of those pastors that loves you enough to tell you about it. You are going to face judgment. So am I. And I'm going to have to give an account of my life and how I built my life when I stand before the Father. And I love Jesus and I want to be clothed with Jesus. And I want to be found in Christ when I stand there. But there's still this accounting for how I lived my life. How I built my life. And it comes down to was I willing to obey his teachings. So guys, this is the last thing today. The fourth thing is this. The rock that he wants us to build on. Don't misunderstand. It's not the teachings of Jesus Christ. You misunderstand it if that's what you think. Because there's a whole lot of Christians that know the teachings of Jesus and still aren't building on the rock. The rock is obedience to the teachings of Christ. That's the rock that he wants you to build your life on. Not just knowing it, not just sitting in church and hearing it, but actually doing it, putting it into practice, living it out. They're simple and easy to understand, so he says, I expect you to do them. Now, he does that in love because he knows it's best for us if we follow that teaching. But he also does it because there's going to be an accountability and a judgment where we stand before the Father. And the question is not going to be, did you know the teachings of Jesus? The question is going to be, did you follow the teachings of Jesus? That's the question. That's the accountability that God gives us in his word. See, that's why I want this year to be a year where we don't just sit in church and listen and learn but we actually do and practice and live out the teachings of Jesus. Thank God. I didn't cue that, but that was good. Yeah. Thank God. I don't know if you heard that at the Smyrna campus. Here at the Antioch campus, we had uh, some background music to go with the sermon. Uh, but it, it was a good message. Thank God, right? So here's my challenge for me and for you. Today you're putting bricks in your house. What bricks are you going to choose? The bricks are what? Decisions that you make. So what decisions are you going to make today as you build your house? You're building it today, right now, even when you don't think you are, by every decision that you're making. What decisions are you making today that align with not just a knowledge of the teaching of God's Word, but the application of the teachings of God's Word. How are you going to apply those teachings and live them out today? 
How do you do that? By the decisions that you make today. That's how you do that, right? You decide to be obedient to the clear, simple, easy-to-understand teachings of Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to know. Some people say, well, there's some things Jesus say that are hard to understand. Yes, they are. But here's where you start with the ones you do understand, right? When you start being obedient to the ones you do understand, you know what happens? The others get cleared up for you. They do. Just start being obedient to what you know he clearly says that you need to do. And there may be people here today that are ready and willing, starting on this first Sunday of 2024, to make some decisions that they know they've been putting off, that they need to make, that they clearly understand from Jesus, that they need to make right here, right now. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that for those hearing the message today, like those that were sitting by that hillside as Jesus taught, that we would hear the clear teachings of Jesus about building our lives on the right foundation. And for someone today that needs to make that decision to take that step to profess Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the first brick they need to put on that foundation, is to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If they've not yet been obedient and and repenting of sin and being baptized into Christ today, may they take that step, put that brick in the building of their house that needs to be there for the foundation to be what it ought to be. If it's to connect with a local church home and, and, and if they are here local, they'll make Lake Shore their church home or, or wherever you are listening online to make a local church your church home. Whatever that next step is, I pray you would put that brick in the building of your house. Father, I pray that you would help us to let your spirit and your word lead us to those next bricks we need to put into the building of our lives. Those decisions that we need to make, I pray that as this opportunity is afforded to them, that they would step forward into those decisions for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.